Hey everyone, welcome back to the Booze and Bays podcast. It is your co-host Madison. I know you are used to hearing Jace for the intro, uh, but this week we're doing something a little different. Uh, we are doing a remote recording session. So I will be reading two creepypasta stories and I hope you all enjoy it. So sit back, relax, and let's get to it, I guess. Alrighty, so the first one, the first creepypasta story that we are going to read today is called Mr. Smile. It was in early November of 1997 that a series of very strange sessions led a child psychologist in Maine to contact the authorities. It began when a patient of his began to tell about one of their friends, this friend being imaginary as far as both the psychiatrist and the boy's parents were concerned. He called his friend Mr. Smile and would talk about him at great length during some sessions. The boy called Mr. Smile both because he would always be smiling and when he was around the boy said everything felt happy. Oof. He said there was a feeling of everything being okay. The boy in question was being treated for serious issues due to anger and depression, but when Mr. Smile was around, he said all of that anger and sadness would disappear. He said that Mr. Smile wouldn't speak but would rather just stand there at the foot of his bed. He smelled like candy floss, and just by being there, he made the boy feel calm and safe. The psychiatrist assumed this imaginary friend was some sort of coping mechanism the boy had developed to deal with the problems at home that had led to his violent temper and thought nothing much of it, until another patient, a girl about nine years old, also began talking about her imaginary friend, Mr. Smile, and then a boy of seven, and then a boy of twelve, and then a girl of eleven. All in all, close to 15 separate patients all began to talk about him, Mr. Smile. The first few he'd put down to coincidence. After all, many children have imaginary friends, and the name and description of Mr. Smile was just generic enough that it didn't concern him too much at first. But as more and more of his patients told him more about Mr. Smile, he began to grow concerned. Every single one of them described him the same way, using the exact words. Now, there was no way all of these children could be in contact with each other, Five of them, for instance, were currently being homeschooled, and according to their parents, when he spoke to them, never really even left the house, expect, except when it was to accompany them on shopping trips. There was no way that every single one of these kids could have rehearsed or prepared their statements together, which led him to a deeply disturbing conclusion. He spoke privately with each of the children's parents one at a time. He avoided disclosing too much information, but told them that something troubling had cropped up in multiple sessions with various patients and that he believed that there was a chance their child was at risk. He asked for their permission to discuss matters with the authorities, and the parents gave their consent, provided they were kept in the loop as to what was going on. And so over the course of the next week, the police came and talked to the children about their friend. They asked for details about his appearance, which they couldn't seem to describe apart from the smile and that he was not like them, how he got into their house, anything he said or did while he was there, because by this point, the psychiatrist, the parents, and the police were all convinced that Mr. Smile was quite real and quite dangerous. The authorities had checked to make sure there were no known predators living in the area, which had confirmed was not the case. But it was quite clear that whoever this Mr. Smile was, he was a real person who had been sneaking into the homes of these children at night. None of the children claimed to know how he got in. They said that he, they would just wake up and he would be there at the foot of the bed. Sometimes he would be singing something, but not in English. It sounded like a lullaby, they said, and made them feel safe. Finally, the children were asked to draw Mr. Smile, as they couldn't put into words how he looked, 
Each and every one of the children picked up a red crayon and proceeded to color in the entire page until it was just a rectangle of red. When asked about this, they insisted they had drawn Mr. Smile. When they asked where his head, arm, and legs were, they insisted that they had drawn those. They claimed they had drawn a perfect picture of the man at the foot of their bed, and when they were told they had simply colored the page and not drawn anything at all, they became deeply angry, feeling that they were being accused of lying and insisting what they have drawn is a picture of the man that they had seen. Acting more in a hunch than anything else, the psychiatrist decided to show one of the colored and rectangles to the various children and ask them what it was. Each and every one of them, with no knowledge of what the picture was supposed to be or who had drawn it, and with no knowledge that the other children had been spoken to about the subject even existed, replied that it was a picture of Mr. Smile. Cameras and baby monitors were placed in the children's rooms so that they could be monitored. Many of the parents simply stopped sleeping together, staying up all night, staring at the screens that displayed where their children slept. At no point did anyone enter or exit the bedrooms. No sound except for them snoring or occasionally talking in their sleep were overheard over the baby monitors. After almost two weeks of this, many of them began to doubt that Mr. Smile had ever even existed. Other psychiatrists since have put the whole thing down to some strange delusion and that while it couldn't be explained yet, did not have to be any basis in reality. Some suggested that maybe this whole Mr. Smile thing had its basis in a TV show or film that the children had all watched, leading them to dream up something similar. Then one of the boys went missing. The camera in his room had gone dead around 2 in the morning. His mother had checked on him, only to find his room empty. It had literally taken her less than a minute to run to his room. There was no possible way for him to leave or be taken and be out of her sight in the time it took her to leave her bedroom and one run towards his, but he was gone. She said there was a smell like cotton candy in the room. The search for the boy turned up nothing. No one had seen anything strange or unusual around the home before or during the disappearance, and no trace of him had ever been found. It was less than a week later that one of the girls who had spoken of Mr. Smile vanished as well. Then another, then another one of the boys, one by one, each of them disappeared until four remained. The four remaining children began to talk about how Mr. Smile and his friends were going to take them away soon. When asked about these friends, they talked about how Mr. Smile lived with the other smiling men in the happy place and he would take them soon. They said that there were lots of people there already in the happy place and everything was beautiful. They said they knew this because Mr. Smile talked about them in their heads and he talked to them in their heads, but he couldn't talk like other people did and he would show pictures in their heads of the places they were going. Things began to get increasingly disturbing. After a few weeks, the children began complaining of headaches and nausea. The schools reported that they had begun to suffer hallucinations and two of them started complaining that they didn't like the place that Mr. Smile was showing them anymore. One began screaming for half an hour, acting as if they were having a fit and screaming for the colors to stop, that the colors were horrible and that they needed them to go away. One of the children claimed that Mr. Smile was taking, was talking to them in their head all the time now and telling them things, terrible things, but that they couldn't talk about it, that they mustn't because then their parents would know about the terrible things too. The psychiatrist asked them to write down what Mr. Smile was saying, promising he would show it to no one, managing to gain the trust of one of the boys enough to that he agreed. The contents of the book are only known to him and the authorities, but whenever anyone has involved has been asked about it, they get real quiet and quickly find an excuse to change the subject. The children stopped sleeping. Footage from the security camera showed them sitting bolt upright, their eyes unblinking, just staring at the wall without moving or making a sound. Sedatives did nothing. One of the girls begins cutting strange circular marks into her skin, while two of the boys cease communicating in English altogether. 
The language they spoke and never identified, and despite numerous people being asked to listen to them, they could not translate what they were saying. By the start of 1999, all four of the children had vanished into thin air. There was no trace of who took them. Searches have turned up to this day with no indication of where they are, even if they're dead or alive. No suspects have been found either. All four of them appeared to simply appeared to simply vanish, vanish into thin air, much like the others, all of whom also remain missing, their disappearances unexplained. Well, that's frightening. I, for that reason, <laughs> am uh, curious about having kids because if one of my kids starts uh, levitating, I am out the door. All right. <laughs> the next creepypasta story is the cat scratching at my door. I never thought a childish prank would save me and my brother's life. It began in late September. My family cat had passed from old age a few weeks prior. I missed her terribly and assumed the strange things that began to happen were just echoes of my grief. When she was still alive, she used to scratch at my door until I let her into my room, and she used to use the crawl space as her own little home, sometimes hiding away for most of the day until pushing the door open in the middle of the night. I had gotten so used to it that I was no longer startled by the tapping of little paws upstairs and the sound of little doors creeping open. So used to it, in fact, that when those same things happened after her death, it took me a while to notice. When I finally did notice, the sounds gave me a strange feeling of unease but familiarity. I told myself that it was just the creaking of an old house, but a part of me wanted to believe that she was still here in some capacity. One night in October, I was awakened by scratching at my door and a faint meow. It lasted only a few seconds, but I heard it clearly. I thought it was a dream. It had to have been. After all, she was gone. But then it kept happening. Every night at 1.46 a.m., I would hear the scratching at my door and the cries of a cat who was long dead. I told no one of it because even though it frightened me, I didn't want to lose what I had left of my dear cat. The scratch stayed the same until the night of October 21st when it became harder to ignore. Everything was normal that night. My parents had gone out for the night, and my brother was sleeping downstairs. I watched YouTube until I fell asleep with the glow of my laptop still on my face. When I heard the scratching, I wasn't even scared. It felt like any other night, until it didn't stop. The scratching only got more frantic, and the crying grew in volume with each swipe of a claw. I had never heard my cat act like this, even when she was alive. I quickly sat up on my bed and checked the time, 1.46 a.m., like always. The scratching got even worse. It sounded like she could tear through the door at any moment. I got up from my bed and slowly cracked open the door. My heart was racing. I had no idea what I would see behind that door, but I had to open it. I opened the door only to a crack, and suddenly it pushed down. However, there was nothing behind the door. I felt a strange presence, like something came into my room. But I didn't know what else to do but to go to bed and try to fall back asleep. The next few nights were just the same. The scratching was almost deafening until I opened my door to let no one inside. It was creepy but comforting. Every time I opened the door, it was like my cat came to visit me from beyond the grave. The last night I felt her presence was a night I will never forget. To this day, it was the most horrifying night of my life. It was Halloween night. I had just come home early from a party so I could stay with my brother for the night as my parents were out of town. We watched and made fun of Halloween movies from our childhood until midnight. I thought it would be funny to scare him with the scratching and meowing, so I told him to sleep in my room that night. I never thought a childish prank would save me and my brother's life. I got in my bed, and he got in a sleeping bag beside me. He fell asleep almost immediately while I could barely keep still from the anticipation. Suddenly, my window flooded with light. 
I still assumed it was my parents coming back early from their trip, but something felt off. The clock struck 1.46 a.m. Instead of scratching or meowing, the little door to the crawl space flung open. A dark figure rushed out and jumped right at me. I let out a scream, waking my brother beside me. The dark figure went through my chest and disappeared behind me. I was hyperventilating and holding my hand to my chest as if something was there. It felt like something was there. This wasn't a visit. It was a warning. I heard what sounded like someone trying to get inside the house, and without hesitation, I grabbed my brother and told him to go into crawl space. He was groggy and disoriented, but I but did what I said. I followed behind him and moved a chair in front of the little door before closing it. I told him to be completely silent. We heard a big crash and then footsteps downstairs. Someone had broken through the window. I heard the stranger open all the doors and push things over. I felt my face go white as I heard the stranger start to come up the stairs. I held my hand over my brother's mouth and began to pray in my head. The stranger was at the door. My heart was pounding he flung the door open and entered the room. I could hear him flip my bed over and knock over my nightstand. I thought we were going to die. My brother was silently texting the police while all I could do was stare at the door, knowing it would open at any second. The stranger pushed over the chair in front of the crawl space. The only thing left between me and the intruder was a little door. My brother and I grabbed the handle and held it shut. I then heard the hiss and growl of a cat. It felt like it was right behind us. Finally, the intruder tried to open the door. We held it shut for as long as we could until the stranger flung it open with one great pull. Before I could even get a good look at him, the dark figure leaped out from behind us and pounded, pounced on his face. It all happened so quickly you could only see flicks of blood flying around. He fell to the ground, crying out and holding his now mangled face. The dark figure ran into the shadows and my brother and I ran out the door and down the stairs. We screamed for help out in the cold until the neighbors came out to see what was wrong the police arrived a short time after. It turns out that the stranger was a drug-addicted ex-convict who was breaking into people's homes around the area looking for cash. They found him screaming in pain, covering his hollowed-out eyes. The police also found a knife beside him he had taken from our kitchen. My brother and I were standing out in the cold when I saw the faint green glow of my cat's eyes in my bedroom window, and that was the last time I ever saw my family cat. Ugh. I cannot believe that or deal with that um but thank you so much for listening make sure to subscribe madison those are some good stories i was a little hesitant at first about reading some creepypasta stories for a a podcast but those are really good um i'll start out with the first one the smiling man that one that one was scary. I, I will not lie with you. That one was pretty damn scary. It kind of reminded me of, uh, I don't know if you've seen The Conjuring. Or the second Conjuring, I think, with the, the Crooked Man. But that story reminded me of The Crooked Man. And that was the most terrifying. Like, the ghost, the nun didn't really get me. And The Conjuring, uh, all the other ghosts didn't really get me. You know, it, it was whatever. But The Crooked Man, when it started growing and chasing after that little kid, that got me trembling. Hands were sweaty. All of that. I did not like that character. Uh, so that story kind of reminded me of the Crooked Man. And I think if someone makes a movie about that, the Smiling Man, it would do pretty good. I think it'd be terrifying. But if you do, if anybody does make a movie, is listening to this right now and makes a movie about the Smiling Man, 
give me some credit. Uh, I want some of the royalties. I need to get paid for that. Um, but going on to the second story about the cat, that one's nice. That one's wholesome. You know, it was a little scary. I guess gruesome more than anything, but you know, it was a feel good story. It was kind of like a superhero movie, you know, cat dies. That's tragic. But then at the end of the day, not all heroes wear capes. And that cat came in and just saved the day. Personally, I hate cats. Madison hates cats, but the cat just got a point right there. Now we need a story. Madison, if we do this creepypasta one again, or Creepypasta podcast, I guess. Find a story about a dog so the dogs can get some points up in here, all right? We can't have the cats be ruling. Um, but yeah, no, it was a good story. I think lore-wise, <laughs> lore I guess the cat one was a little bit better. It, it had more structure. It felt like a story. The first one was just terrifying. And I don't like kids that are that can see ghosts. So, you know, that's already uh, a knock in my book. So I'm going with the cat story. Uh, that one was good. Wholesome. Really enjoyed it. Um, but to everyone listening, if you enjoyed this creepypasta kind of story ASMR podcast, let us know. We'll do some more. If you want Madison to keep doing it, let us know. If you want me to do it. Let us know, I guess. There's going to be an interact. Uh, if you're listening on Spotify, there's going to be an interact kind of thing at the bottom of this podcast where you can kind of put in your thoughts and opinions, uh, what you'd like to see, any complaints, anything like that. We'll see it. Uh, if there are any complaints, we'll actually call you out and uh, shit on you. I'm just kidding. But uh, we'll take everybody's suggestion, good or bad, and implement them uh, into our next and future podcast. Uh, but there's some news that I feel like I have to go over. First off is watch out for the booze and bays on YouTube because in the next couple episodes we should be filming. Let me cross that over with Madison real quick. Uh, but we should be filming. Y'all can see us for the first time ever. It only took us 24 episodes, I believe. But you guys will be able to see us. We will be filming our car cast. You can see us do our car cast and all the faces we make everything the way i look at madison when she says that danvers uh danvers state or whatever is in colorado because it sounds like denver yes you guys are missing out on all the faces i make um but that is the first bit of news the second one is it was my birthday a few days ago and for a birthday present, Madison got me an EMF reader, which if you guys don't know what an EMF reader is, it basically detects, I guess, the electromagnetic field uh, within a certain area. And so basically, it's a little handheld device that can capture uh, ghosts, I guess, or detect when a ghost is near uh, based on their electromagnetic field, I guess. I, I'm not too sure how it works. Don't quote me. Um, but I got this device and I'm really eager to use it. I don't know any places in Tampa we could probably use it, Madison, but all that means is that we're going to have to go somewhere. We're going to have to do an on-site podcast, maybe do some YouTube videos, maybe some TikToks. I don't know. Sound like a good idea? If you guys have any haunted spots you'd like us to check out, 
we'll also leave them in that interact and we'll definitely check those out make us scared i definitely want to use this emf reader and then we can become professional ghost hunters right madison does that sound good um but with that being said uh, thank you guys for listening to this episode and make sure that you follow us on tiktok instagram everything and even spotify so you get notified when we post every single friday at 7 a.m that's right 7 a.m on the dot so when you're taking that morning commute to work you can listen to us um but i guess there's no other way to end this episode than madison's own exit bye